Pastor Kyle warmed you up a little bit this morning, but I want to get us rubbed up. He is risen. He is risen. All right. Say it like you mean it now. He is risen. The resurrection stamped authenticity onto the message and the life of Jesus Christ. If he had said all the things he said, which were profound, that he is you know, our Savior, that he is the Son of God, that he has come to give us life and life to the full, and that if we place our faith in him, uh, we can spend eternity with him. He gives us this message. It would mean nothing. It would be just empty words, hollow promises, if he weren't resurrected. But he is the Alpha and the Omega, the first and last of all things, the beginning and the end uh, to life. He truly is our Savior. He truly is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world uh, because he's been resurrected. And I love Easter and I love the, the, the way it cycles us back to something that's so foundational to us as people, that we serve a resurrected King. And that resurrection says... Validity, validity, validity. Everything he says is true. And our response to it ought to be faith. It ought to be a faith-inspiring, faith-building moment in our lives that Christ indeed is risen from the dead, that the grave could not contain him, that he's done all things well, he's done everything. He said, it is finished, Father, I've done everything you've sent me to do, and we can trust Jesus entirely with our lives. Our big thought verse for this morning is this, without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. I would like us to read that out loud together. So here we go. Read it out loud with me. Without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. My intention this Easter morning is to overwhelm you with reasons why you ought to believe in Jesus Christ, specifically in his resurrection. That then should result in a faith of God that is pleasing to God. That you're believing on Him and seeking after Him. So my goal this morning is to bombard you with reasons to believe in the resurrection. You hear a lot of of this talk in our culture that all faiths are the same, It doesn't matter what you believe, just be sincere and let's have all kinds of tolerances. But I want to tell you, all faiths are not the same. We need to be informed people in our own faith. We need to understand the centrality of the resurrection and the many proofs behind it. We have a lot of uniqueness in that regard to the Christian faith. And I want you to be able to give a reason for the hope you have in Jesus Christ. I want you to be able to walk out of a a meeting like this uh, and be able to talk to somebody on the street out there and say, this is why I place my hope in Jesus Christ. If you're on the tipping point of your faith this morning, maybe you've thought about Jesus Christ, maybe you're a bit informed about Jesus Christ, but you've never really stepped into faith in him with both feet, I pray today is the tipping moment for you. That as I share with you some reasons to believe in Christ because of the resurrection, that it just pushes you right into the kingdom of Jesus. Amen? 
But more than anything, I want us to walk out of here understanding that we don't have blind faith, we who call ourselves Christ followers. We have an informed faith. It's still faith, right? But when we walk into the, the, the room of faith, we don't leave at the door sill our minds and our logic. Jesus can stand our scrutiny. God can take our scrutiny. And we're to have an informed faith that's ready to tell people the hope we have in Jesus Christ and why we have that hope. So this Easter morning, we're going to look at some reasons to believe. After each point, I have seven points. It's going to go really fast. At the end of each point, I'm going to say, he is risen. What do you say? So stay awake. Help me out. Say it loud. I'm going to begin by reading part of the account of the resurrection of Jesus as given to us from Mark chapter 16, uh, specifically verses 1 through 8. Listen to what this says. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Jesus, and Salome brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus of Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. Oh, very good. <laughs> All right, I, I robbed you. He is risen. All right, it's right there in Scripture, but good job. <laughs> First hour didn't do that. You guys are more alert. A plus, they get a B minus. But go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. All right, here's the point. We're going to begin this little journey of reasons to believe so that we can have this faith that's pleasing to our Father. The empty tomb was discovered by women. The empty tomb was discovered by women. In that culture, at that time, this was not the starting point of making a legend. Here's a resurrection angle, I think, that's not often really realized by those who say and promote this idea that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is just a made-up story. Here, here's part of what they don't understand and I want you to understand. In that culture, at that time, a woman's testimony was not permissible in court. I'm not saying that was right. I'm not saying that's the way it should be. That was the culture that this was uh, happening in. So if you're trying to fabricate a legend, if you're trying to make up a story about resurrection uh, of Jesus Christ, it would be dumb to start that thing out by using the testimony of women. You would not be the brightest bulb in the room if you did that. It would be something that would ding the legend right away. By the way, I think God delights in doing these kinds of things, of, of just kind of confounding people, of, of, of dressing biases. I think he appeared to women first because he really cares about that half of humanity. What do you think? Jesus elevated the status of women. Do you understand that? Sometimes I hear people say, oh, I don't want that religious stuff. It puts women down. You don't know Jesus Christ if you say that. He elevated the status of women. It went contrary to the culture at that time. And having the first witnesses of his resurrection being women was just dumbfounding in that culture. But that's how God works, isn't it? That's why this is not the making of a legend. This is 
a, a, a factual account being told. He is risen. Very good. Sticking to the theme of the empty tomb, here's a second reason to believe in the resurrection and also for your faith to be built up. The empty tomb's location was known, which allowed for verification of it being empty. This was a bad move if someone was trying to create a legend. It's stated in the Gospel of Matthew, as well as other Gospels, that a, a man named Joseph of Arimathea took the crucified body of Jesus Christ, put it in his own tomb, and people witnessed it. If you're trying to create a legend about Christ, you don't do that. You don't show them where the tomb's at. It's bad move. They could say, well, he wasn't right. There's his body or whatever, right? They could disprove what you're trying to create as a legend. Listen to what Josh McDowell uh, says about this in his article entitled, If I Fake the Resurrection, here's what he said. If I were creating a resurrection legend, he says, I would keep the tomb's location a secret to prevent any chance that someone might discover Jesus' body, or I would record in my account that the angels sealed it or carried it off into heaven after the resurrection. Or I might take the easiest course of all and simply uh, made my phys- uh, fictional resurrection a spiritual one, which would have made it impossible to refute even if a body were eventually discovered. But of course, the gospel accounts describe the owner of the tomb, Joseph of Arimathea, in its location at the place where Jesus was crucified. There was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb. That's where Jesus was laid. And of course, later on, his resurrection's identified as a bodily resurrection. So if you're trying to make up a story, and, you, and, and the, the story of Jesus' resurrection is fabricated, you wouldn't tell people where the, where the tomb is at. That would be a bad move. He is risen. Let's move on to reason three to believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's this. Those opposed to Jesus' resurrection did not deny the empty tomb. They did not deny the empty tomb, but rather chose to discredit it with a false report. After Jesus was crucified, the chief priests and the Pharisees remembered that he said that he would be raised again after the third day. So they persuaded Pilate to post the guard so that no one would steal away the body. Here's what happened. I want to read this to you. It's in Matthew 28, verses 1 through 15. It's my favorite account of the resurrection. Listen to what's said here. After the Sabbath, at the dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. They had church. They were slain in the spirit. They fell down before the angels. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen. Do you want to say it? There you go. Just as he said, Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said, and they came to him. And this is what happens when you really run into the resurrected Jesus Christ. They came to him, and they clasped his feet, and what did they do? They worshiped. Man, when you run into the resurrected Jesus Christ, you worship. Amen? You're overwhelmed with what that means and the implications of it all, and you worship. 
Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised the plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You are to say, His disciples came during the night and stole them away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. That is so sad, amen? They did not deny Christ was gone. They chose, rather, to try to discredit what was happening. Here's some money. We're going to make of this story. Say you stole the body away. He is risen, you say. Let's leave the empty tomb now for a few moments and move to some more reasons to believe in the resurrection and have a faith that uh, pleases God. The realistic account of the disciples supports the resurrection's validity. The realistic account of the disciples supports the resurrection's validity. Legends embellish. We go up to Brainerd, Minnesota frequently, and there's this huge statue of Paul Bunyan and Bade the Blue Ox there. This huge concrete statue. If you've never been there, it's worth one look, one time in your life, good enough then. But this is huge monument to this legend. Legends embellished. There's, you know, Paul Bunyan and he's huge, bigger than life, and Babe the Blue Ox next to him, bigger than life. That's what, that's what legends do, don't they? They embellish, they exaggerate, they make up stories and, and, and that kind of thing. But the, the, uh, the, the stories surrounding Jesus' resurrection are not embellishments. They're, they're, they're real stories of real people struggling with what was going on. You've got poor Thomas, right? He's forever known as Thomas the Doubter. Jesus is resurrected and he appears to the disciples, Right? But Thomas isn't with his brothers in the Lord. And they tell Thomas about Christ being resurrected, being raised up from the dead. And Thomas doesn't believe them. He says, unless I see the nails myself and touch them, unless I put my hand in his side, I'm not going to believe. And later on, we're told that Christ once again appeared uh, to his disciples. And this time, Thomas was with them. And I... I can just see this. I can see Jesus saying, hey, Thomas, here you go. Touch him. Here you go. Put it here. And then he says, don't doubt and believe. And I can hear Christ saying the same thing to you and I today. Touch it. Believe it. Don't doubt. Believe. Don't doubt. Believe. His resurrection account is not embellished. It's full of this rawness, this realistic, confrontational, gritty interaction takes place. And you see these disciples and these people struggling to understand what is going on here, and they're overwhelmed by the situation. This is not embellishment. And when I read the account of the resurrection, you see the rawness of the reaction of the people around, and it causes me to say, yep, it's true. There's... There's nothing here to embellish. It's just this raw human interaction taking place. He is risen, you say? 
Last week in our Palm Sunday message, we really zoomed in on hope rising among us. This morning, I don't know if you're figuring this out, but I'm going to just tell you, it's about faith rising among us. Because without faith, we can't please God. And we have to believe that he exists, and we have to uh, earnestly seek after him. And the more you run into the factual side of the resurrection, the more you begin to see this thing has all kinds of verifiable kind of proof behind it. I pray your faith is increased. So now we're going to turn our attention to a reason to believe that's more historical. Let's go to point five here in your note-taking guidance. This, the accuracy of the resurrection is reinforced by the short time period between its occurrence and written accounts about it. Once again, I have a quote from Josh McDowell from that same article, If I Fake the Resurrection. Here's what he says. Few historians dispute the fact that the disciples of Jesus began preaching the news of the resurrection soon after the event itself. In fact, Peter's Pentecost sermon found in Acts chapter 2 occurred most likely within 50 days of the resurrection. And textual research indicates that the written accounts of the resurrection, especially the creedal uh, statement of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 through 8, are astoundingly early in origin, possibly within two years of the event. Such early origins argue against any notion that the resurrection accounts were fabricated or legendary. Historians are happy to get written accounts of an event within a few hundred years of that event taking place. What's interesting about the Bible is you got all this written account happening within months and years of the actual events that took place. It's astounding history. Sometimes people question the Bible like it's not good history, and I'm going, oh my goodness. You doubt other history because it has very, very much less uh, of this, you know, factual kind of evidence around it. I want to read to you the creedal statement from 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 8. Listen to what is said here and how it gets at the, the primary elements of our faith of Christianity. Here's what the Apostle Paul says in this scripture. For what I receive, I pass on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, another name for Peter, and then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me, also as to one abnormally born. As McDowell said, this creedal statement here of 1 Corinthians happened within a couple years of the resurrection. If you're going to make up legend, if you're going to fabricate story, you don't do it when all these witnesses are still around. That's just not a good way to get something like that going. He is risen, you say? So after seeing these reasons thus far, let me ask you this question. Is your faith being increased? Are you becoming more convinced ever of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Do you believe that God exists and that he will reward those who earnestly seek after him? Because that's the purpose of the message today. For us to be informed followers of Jesus Christ. The next two reasons I'm going to give you are very, very much more of the evidence kind of just hardcore evidence of why you ought to believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I just read to you uh, the basis of the next point, point six. I just read to you the creedal statement of 1 Corinthians 15, 3-8, where there was all these witnesses. So here is the point. There were many eyewitnesses 
who saw the resurrected Jesus Christ. There are many eyewitnesses who saw the resurrected Jesus Christ. This is a lawyer's dream. Can you imagine if you're making the case for Christ's resurrection, and if you were a lawyer, and you say, Your Honor, I got some witnesses. Cephas, the 12, oh, uh, there's 500. There's the apostles, and then there's this James dude, and then there's this one abnormally born named Paul. That would be a lawyer's dream to have this many eyewitnesses of an event that you were trying to prove. I am fond of saying this. The follower of God is called to faith, right? Amen? Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because you've got to believe that he exists, that he earnestly rewards those who seek him. But listen, when you walk into the room of faith, you don't leave at the door your mind. You don't leave your reason. You don't leave your logic. Those can go right in the room of faith with you, and they can stand the scrutiny of Christ. Or Christ can stand the scrutiny of such things. Amen? That's why I love Christianity. I remember when I first came to Jesus, it was really super step of faith for me to do that. But quickly I began to realize, wow, like a lot of evidence here. There's a lot of verification. There's a lot of proof. It's not just a blind faith. It's supposed to be an informed faith. And what I'm trying to do with you this morning is inform you a little bit. We don't have to apologize as followers of Jesus Christ as though we're just pie-in-the-sky people. We have all this evidence, and you need to be able to articulate this to people because I think most of the world doesn't know this. Well, we're to the last reason to believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and I pray it instills faith in you like none other thing would. It does for me. This is point seven. Many of the early disciples were willing to die as martyrs because they saw the resurrected Jesus Christ. So get this line of logic with me. If this stuff is being fabricated and the disciples are making it up and the followers of Jesus Christ are making it up, and then they're called to die for that fabricated story, you think they'd do that? Hmm. That's commitment, isn't it? I don't think so. Why were they so willing to be martyred? Why were these early followers so willing to be martyred rather than deny Jesus Christ? You know why? They saw the resurrected Christ and they were forever changed. And they would rather die than deny him. I want to read a couple accounts to you of the early disciples and their martyrdom. Um, it's from this book called Fox's uh, Book of Martyrs, or it's a story of the early martyrdoms of the churches, uh, of, the, of people of the, of the church. I didn't say that very clearly. Anyway, you follow what I'm saying, right? Uh, this is a good little read. Um, it just, man, I tell you, if you're feeling sorry for yourself, just get this book and read it sometime. Puts things into perspective. The first one is the story of James the Less. He was one of the original 12 disciples of Jesus Christ. He was appointed as the first overseer of the Jerusalem church. Uh, the high priest at that time, who was named Ananias, summoned uh, James the Less before him and said, you need to deny Jesus Christ. And James the Less wouldn't do this. He was placed at the at the temple, uh, the pinnacle of the temple at that time, it says, it told, deny Christ or you're going to be pushed to the ground. Instead of denying Christ, he boldly began to proclaim Christ from the temple. Steeple or pinnacle, whatever you want to call it there. 
And the, and the crowd began to join him. The multitudes began to join him. So he was cast down to the ground and stoned. And we're told that this broke his legs. And it said that he got on his knees, broken legs and all. He got on his knees and he began to pray for those stoning him, saying, Lord, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. And then he was struck in the head and he died. I don't think he would do that for a fabricated story. What do you think? I think he saw the resurrected Jesus Christ and it so impacted him that he was never the same. Then you go to Andrew, another follower and disciple of Jesus Christ. He was crucified on this X-shaped cross. He had led a Roman woman of, 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 of stature to Christ and her governor husband was really mad and threatened him with crucifixion. So he was arrested and he was tried. Threatened and scourged and tortured, he remained steadfast to Jesus Christ. And it is said that the judge pleaded with Andrew, please don't throw your life away like this. And we're told that Andrew pleaded with the judge, please don't throw your soul away. And he was sentenced to die on this X-shaped cross and he was crucified. And here's the amazing part of Andrew's story. For three days he died on that thing. And you know what he did while he died? He taught the people around him about Christ. How do you do that kind of thing if you didn't see the resurrection of Jesus Christ and had it so impact your life? Then you get to Peter. Jesus told his disciple Peter, when you're young, you're, you went around where you wish, but when you get older, you're going to be you know, shackled up. You're going to be manacled. You're going to be you know, girded up, and, and you're going to be led where you don't want to go. Well, the story of Peter goes something like this. He was uh, arrested and put in the infamous prison called Mamertime where um, he was uh, manacled and, and, and mistreated. And he survived the torture there and we're told that he apparently witnessed the message of Jesus to his uh, guards effectively. Eventually, he was hauled out of there, out of the dungeon, taken to Nero's circus, and he was crucified upside down because he did not get himself worthy to be crucified head up like Jesus Christ. I look at these accounts of the early followers of Jesus Christ and the martyrdom that they were willing to endure, and I think it has to be real. People won't do this for fabricated, legendary kind of things. I mean, even if you're Matthias, the alternate disciple that was chosen by Lot, uh, you know, before the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, this guy was chosen to replace Judas Iscariot, the one who had denied Jesus Christ. At any rate, even Matthias was stoned to death. Come be a disciple and die. These early followers were so struck by the resurrected Jesus Christ, they would die rather than deny him. He is risen. All right, Acts, the book of the Bible that begins to give us the history of the church, says this, beginning in chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In my former book, Theopolis, I wrote all about that Jesus, uh, wrote all about, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions to the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So here, here's my summary today for you. There are many convincing proofs for the resurrection. Will you believe them? 
Will you believe them? Becomes the question. There are many convincing proofs for the resurrection. And I pray that faith rises among the people like Grace Point like never before. I pray that you're crazy in love with Jesus Christ and that your faith is an informed faith and that you realize without faith it's impossible to please God because you've got to believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek after him. So this morning I want to plead with you. I want to ask you. I'm even begging some of you. If you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, why not? There's all this proof. There's all this information. There's all this verification. God has this wonderful faith journey in store for his people, and you just got to step into it and believe it. And this morning, I pray for some of you who've never done that, that you step in and you just believe today. And then this Holy Spirit fills you, and you get even more verification that it's all real. Amen? Some of you have been around Jesus for a long time. You know what I'm talking about. Then he begins to do divine intervention things in your life, and you begin to go, wow. You begin to have this really personal, up-close walk with God, and it's just amazing, and it's wonderful, and it's the best thing ever. But you have to, at some point, step in and believe God is who he says he is, believe that he exists, and believe that he rewards those who earnestly seek after him. So if you want to give your life to Jesus Christ, I'm going to pray, and I pray you do that as I do uh, that prayer here in just a moment. I want to encourage you, if you do that kind of commitment today, fill out one of these cards found in your, your, your bulletin. Just fill it out and put it at the information center so we can pray for you by name, okay? So we can pray for you by name. But for the rest of us, man, God is calling us to be informed, amen? Why I like coming around to the resurrection like this once a year, it's this. It should instill in us faith. It should gird us up in our most holy walk in God. We should go out of here excited and say, I don't just serve an abstract, distant, remote God. I serve a resurrected Jesus Christ who appeared in bodily form and was resurrected bodily. Amen? That's who I serve. And we should walk out of here jacked up and full of faith. I am a little bit. But I've preached this a couple times. You can't preach it without getting excited about it. <laughs> God's so good. He is risen, you say. Let's pray, and then we need to sing. Ooh, I'm going long. God, thank you. I want to pray for anyone this morning that's given their life to you, that they've just been uh, touched, Lord, by the reality of your resurrection. They've just become informed. I pray for such ones that are having that light bulb, a realization flick on in their spirit right now, that Jesus, they would say, I'm yours. I give you my heart today. I now see you're real, that you're my Savior. You're the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you take me as one of your children and fill me now with your Holy Spirit. So that I walk after you all the days of my life. I pray someone pray that prayer. I pray for all of us, Lord, this morning that we would walk out of here informed, full of the life of Jesus Christ, convinced more than ever that you are who you say you are, Jesus, that you are the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, that you're the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end of all things, that you're our great Savior, that all we need to do is just trust in you and love on you and worship you. May we be like those women who clasped your feet, Lord, and worshiped you. Now as we sing some songs to you and worship you in song, I pray that we do so with that perspective that you're the resurrected Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen.